You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. So what we're going to do this morning um, is we're going to continue our walk through James, James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go there. James chapter 1, we're looking at uh, verses 9 through 18. We're, we're taking it slow through this first chapter. And as, as we think about this, this passage that we're looking at today, I kept thinking about Stan's message from last week. And as Stan taught last week on, on the first few verses, uh, um, Todd taught on just verse 1 the first week, and, and Stan taught on uh, uh, 2 through 8 last week, he talked about this idea of being anti-fragile, right? If you're uh, kind of the idea of like the coffee cup, if he dropped it, which he didn't do, which I was kind of hoping for, but if, if he would have dropped it, that's fragile, and, and uh, my bottle that he stole from me and then threw down on the ground numerous times, that's, that's resilient, but then there's this other, this other category of being anti-fragile. Like the hydra, you cut off one head to, to uh, appear. And the idea is, how do we, how do we as, as Christians, as believers in Jesus, as followers of God, how do we go through trials and, and not be fragile, not just be resilient, not just be, to, to be holding on through it, and you get through the other side, and it's like, man, I'm, I'm glad I survived that. But how do we thrive in the midst of trials? How do we come through, as, as James says, um, with, with perseverance? steadfastness how do we how do we get through that and and um as we're as we're talking about that last week and as as stan talked about how that's god's desire for us is that we that we are better going through trials than we were when we started that's that's the idea but as i was thinking about that this past week how do we do that especially in a life that that just is so changing it's so uh, there, there's so many things that it just feels like every day is a new challenge every day there's there's something else every day when you look on social media there's there's something else to be angry about or every day that that you you wake up it's like a new thing you think that you you have the first thing down and you think okay i'm good here and then all of a sudden something comes up and just boom you're you're down again it reminds me of the the game we used to play my my wife and i we used to play this game with our kids when they were two and three years old and uh, we would sit on the couch, and they would bring us uh, the throw pillows from the couch. And we'd sit on the couch, and then they would run away, as, you know, as little toddlers do. Uh, they would run away, and we would take those throw pillows, which I think it's funny that they're called throw pillows, because we would take those pillows, and we would throw it at them as they ran away. And we would try and take their feet out from underneath of them. <laughs> and praise God that kids are resilient, because young parents make bad decisions but um and and but they they loved it and they would they would get up and they would bring the pillow back to us and they'd hand it to us and then they'd go ah and they'd run away and we would just throw it and just like i mean we it was kind of a competition to see how many times we could knock them down and it was super fun but but i think that's if we're honest i think at times that's life right? That's life. It's like you, you're walking along, you're running, you're feeling good about stuff, and then just all of a sudden, something else comes up. Something else takes you out. So here's the question. How do we, how do we do what God wants us to do in the midst of trial when that is our situation, when that's our reality, when, when, when the, every day is something, something new? And here's, here's kind of the big idea. I don't have it up on the screen, but the big idea this morning that I think we see in this passage is that we have to find security in God. 
because God is secure. In the midst of this ever-changing life, in the midst of trials that pop up to try and take us out, find security in God because God is secure. Let's, let's read together James chapter 1, starting at verse 9. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let's, let's stop there. What he's saying there is he's saying, hey, look, he's talking James. This is a letter to, to the Jewish Christians who have, who have had their whole world turned upside down. They get, they get kind of chased out of Jerusalem, and now they're dispersed among the Gentiles, the people who aren't Jewish, and he's writing this letter to them, and he's, he's, he, our, our, the title of our series is Just Do Something, and he's trying to help them figure out, all right, how do I live practically in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of where God has me? How do I live this life that I'm called to in the midst of that? And he says, the, the first thing, he says, look, those of you who are poor, those of you who are lowly, boast in your exaltation. And on the flip side, he says, those who are rich boast in your humiliation. And, and I believe that as we look at that, both are brothers, both are people in the church, both are Christians, the poor and the rich. And he's saying, look, what you need to do, what you need to understand is that your life, you need to be anchored in something more than just your temporary situation. Be anchored, be grounded in something more than just your economic situation more than more than you being poor more than you being rich those are those are all temporary statuses and he says it, other than that like don't don't boast in those things but boast in in who god has you and and what god has done for you because the reality is no matter if you're poor or rich and and those are just subject to change those are those are it depends on who's around you right it, determining if you're actually rich or poor like for some of you college students like you probably feel pretty poor right okay we hear some snaps right some college students you feel pretty poor but if you go on like my myrichlist.com you'll realize that you're in like the top one percent of the richest people in the world right it, it depends like when when you're like oh i'm so poor i only have an iphone 7 <laughs> man i can't believe it can't even afford the new iPhone, whatever. I don't even know. They stopped using numbers. Now it's just letters. Or so. I, don't, I don't know. But like, like it, it's just all subject to who you're around. And so the idea is you're, no matter if you are poor or, or rich, that's, that will change. In fact, in Psalm 49, I have this up on the screen. Psalm 49, 16 through 18 says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of the fathers who will never again see light. See, the reality is no matter where you find yourself, that will change, whether it's in this life or the next one. But this goes far beyond your economic situation. This goes far beyond your bank account. In Connection Group this past week, as we, were, as we were looking ahead to this passage and as we were reading through it together, which if you're not in a connection group, you should get in a connection group. There's my plug for connection group. But as we were going through this, the thing that just really hit me was the fact that I don't, I don't necessarily boast in my bank account. 
like money has never, never really been a thing that's driven me or made me super stressed. But there are other things that I boast in. There are other things that I find my, myself anchored in. Now, if you ask me, well, where, where do you find your identity? Where are you anchored? Of course, I'm going to say Jesus because I've been in church a lot. So I know the right answer, right? If, no, matter what the, no matter what the question is, most of the time in church it's Jesus. That's the answer, okay? So, so if you ask me, what are you anchored in? I would say Jesus. But here's the reality. A, a few years ago, my grandpa passed away. And my grandparents, they lived, um, I was trying to find some pictures to show you guys. I couldn't find any. But my, my grandparents, they lived just, we grew up out in the country, and my grandparents lived just over the hill from me. Like, I could see it from my house. Like, I was, I was over at their house probably three-quarters of my childhood I spent over there. They had a pool in the backyard. We were, we were there every birthday, every, every holiday. A- after church, we would go. My grandma would make these huge meals, and we'd go over, and, and it, was just this, it was just this place of, it just anchored me, this place of rest. It, it was this place where it's like when, when I would come home, even more than my own house, when I would come home, it was like, I am now home. You know those places? Do you have those places? It's like no matter what's going on in your life, if I'm here, everything's, this is good. My grandpa passed away a few years ago, and my grandma, she, she had wanted to move to town for a long time, so she decided she's going to sell the farm and uh, move to town, which, you know, that's, it's fine. I could still go back. You can still, you know, even if it's not yours anymore, even if it's not in your family, it's like, well, I can still go back. I can still remember these things. I can still walk where I used to walk when I was a kid. I could still remember. Well, my grandma passed away here just a year ago. And I did the funeral, and, and we, we went to, this funeral was held in a little country church that's just about a mile from where my grandparents used to, from where I lived. And I, my wife and I, I was like, you know, we should go back. I hadn't been back to, to that place since my grandpa passed away. And we went back, and it was, inc- it, was, it was just a surreal moment as we pulled into what used to be the driveway, and now there's nothing there. They bulldozed the house. They tore down the grain bins. They, I mean, they uprooted the trees, and it's just nothing. The sidewalk that I used to walk up to get into my grandparents' house is gone. Like, everything is gone. And in, that, in, that, in just that surreal moment, I felt in, as though inside of me, I felt like I had become untethered. Now, if you ask me, where is your, where's your security? Where are you grounded in? I would say Jesus. But when this happened to me, when I experienced this thing, it's like I, I became like, I, I felt inside my spirit like I was like a little kid's balloon. When you tell them, don't let go of that, right? And what happens as soon as you get out of the car, they let go of their balloon. And, it's, and they're like, oh, I, I want it. It's like, no, you can't. Like, it's done. That's what happens. But that's what I felt like in my spirit. And I think there are times where we go through life, if someone were to ask you, you, what are you anchored in? What are you grounded in? It's, oh, yeah, Jesus. Like, I get it. But, but then things come along, and it's like, ah, oh, I feel untethered. And I think what James is telling these people here is he's saying, yes, you don't have your home. You don't have all these things that used to make you secure. But, but, but you have to find security in something more than that. I don't, know what, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for you, it is your bank account. It is that, that economic security that if I lost this, if I lost my job, I don't know what I'd do. Maybe for you, it's if I lost this relationship, 
If I lost this, I don't fill in the blank. If I lost my health, I don't know what I'd do. You see, I believe what James says here is he's saying we have to be anchored in more than just these temporary situations. Because just like my, my grandparents' house, sooner or later, these things will be wiped away. And the question is, who are you if, if you're grounded in those things? Will you become untethered? Will you become unanchored, drifting around, tossed around like waves in a sea? He, he goes on from there, and he begins to, continues to talk about these, these trials. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's stop there. Now, that word, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, that word is the same word that, that James uses in verse 2, where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And now he says, he, he's saying, look, hold on in the midst of trials, because in the midst of trials, God is doing something. Remain steadfast, remain firm, hold on. Because when you allow steadfastness to do its thing, when you, when you hold on, right, things happen. God, God is, is going to make you perfect. He's perfecting us in the midst of the trials. But then in verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. I, I believe what he's saying there is he's saying, look, in the midst of all these things, hold on. When you feel like maybe you're, you're starting to become untethered, hold on. And guys, I have been in situations and trials and testing and temptation where it feels as though I just want to hit the eject button. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I, I just, I just want to hit eject. I remember when, when I was pastoring and small town Iowa, and, and our kids, they just kept getting sicker and sicker, and my, uh, my daughter was born with a, a bunch of genetic stuff going on, and I can remember, um, you know, people w- would say, well, this, you know, you're on the front lines, you're in ministry, and so the, the enemy's going to take shots at you. The enemy's going to try and stop you. The enemy's going to try and, and take you out, and I kept the thing, I remember sitting in my little office in this church, and I remember thinking, God, I could, I could handle it if it, was, if it was pointed at me. If the trials were pointed at me, if the shots were pointed at me, if, the, if all this stuff was pointed at me, I think I could handle it. But it's not. It's pointed at my kids, and it's pointed at my wife. It's pointed at all these other things. And, and it just seems like a, like a jerk move for the enemy to, like, get it, come at me. Not that, I, not that I think I'm anything special, but it's like, you pick on my kids, are you kidding me? But the reality is, in that moment, it, as I was sitting in the office, I was like, God, if this is what ministry means, that it's going to keep trying, coming at my kids, maybe I should just be done. Maybe, maybe I should just be out of this. Maybe then things would calm down. Maybe then it would slow down. And I think what James is saying here is he's saying, in the midst of trials, in the midst of all these things, hold on. Hold on, he says earlier, let steadfastness continue its work. Hold on, why, why do we hold on when our desire is to hit eject, when our desire is just, I just want peace, I just want, I just want comfort, I just, I just want this to stop. If that's our desire, why do we hold on? In verse 12, he, he continues, he says, for um, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. See, the reality is, I believe what James is pointing out is he's saying, don't, don't miss this. Trials are temporary. They have an end. Right? No matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, it is not forever. And I think that's good news. 
I think it's good news even when it's like, oh, I know it's not forever, but this really, this is not fun. This hurts. See, James is saying, hold on. Hold on for when you, have, when you have gone through this, when you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of life. You will receive, you will receive what's offered to you. And this is actually, these are actually the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 13, which James is the brother of Jesus, so he's around Jesus a lot. Matthew 24, 13 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures till the end will be saved. He says, hold on. Hold, hold fast. No matter, what your, no matter what your desires say, hold fast. Verse 13, he goes on. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot t- be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted. Well, let's stop there. I don't want to give it away. All right? Stop there. Verse 13. He says, he says let no one say, if you're in the midst of this, and you're, you're trying to hold on, and it's, it's hurting, and it's painful, and it's, it's a trial. He's, he's saying, Hey, in the midst of that, don't, if you're trying to find somebody to blame, don't point that at God. Don't say, oh, God is, God is tempting me. And, I, and I, wonder, I wonder why this is so important. Because, because if you're anything like me, do you guys remember the show Wipeout? You remember that show? Some of you, yeah. I always, I always thought, man, it would be so much fun to be on that show. I would love to be on that show because it's just these, this big obstacle course. And, and I watched the show. Me and my family, we'd watch the show together because it was so funny to watch people just wipe out. I mean, that's the, that's the title of the, you know, they, they would run through the, and they would start so energetic. And they're like, yeah, I'm here, you know. And it's like they would jump on the first thing and then boom, you know, just off in the mud. And we would laugh and laugh. See, it's the same reason that I, I was thinking about this. I don't watch like NASCAR or car racing. I, I don't watch it. But if I were to, it would be because I like to watch the wrecks. Right? It, anybody? Nobody. I'm just wrong. There we go. We got one person. I'm just the, we're, we are messed up. So I guess that's, that's. But, but when, when you watch these things, it's like, oh, it's so fun to watch people wipe out. I got to think about that. It's like, that is the opposite of who God is. Praise God. In, in Ezekiel, I have this up there in Ezekiel 18, God is talking to his prophet, and he says this, but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn away from his wickedness and, and, and live? Guys, why is it important that we understand this correctly? Because I believe that when we, when we go through trials, we need to understand where it is that the God of universe, where he sees you, where he's at, where he stands. One time when I was in fourth grade, I went to sit, in, sit down in my chair, and I went to sit like this, like knee first. Have you ever done that? Or you go to sit down, you sit in knee first. What I didn't realize, that somebody had put a tack in my chair. Yeah! And I, somebody put a tack in my chair, knee first, drove that tack right into that little place between the bones. And, and then it's just like you can't straighten your leg because you have a tack in your knee, right? And, and the, the teacher is like, oh, okay, who did this? We pulled it out, and I was freaking out as a fourth grader. And who did this? Who did? Nobody, nobody was going to say that they did it. And so the teacher thought this would be a good teachable moment. And she says, okay, kids, now this should teach us that when we go to sit down, we need to pay attention to what's in our chair. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I'm the one that's, you're, you're turning this around on me? But I, re- I, I, I realized 
Years later, my best friend confessed to me. He's like, yeah, you remember that time in fourth grade? <laughs> like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah, he's like, yeah, I put that tack in your chair. No, no way. Like the guy that was the, my confidant, the guy that, that I, I thought had my back, the guy that he put a tack in my chair. And I think there are times when we go through trials and, and all these things, we, we want somebody to blame. So we, we look to God and we say, if you loved me, if you, if you were powerful enough, if you, all these different things, then you would do something here. And, and it's, it's you, God. It's you that, why I'm being tempted. It's you why I feel like I'm being led astray. It's you. you. You taking your hands off the wheel. And yet the reality is, as James says here, he's saying, no, it's not God. He can't tempt anybody because he himself isn't tempted by evil. And the reality there is, he's saying, to, to tempt somebody into evil is, is evil in itself. And, and God isn't tempted. He's not doing that. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We have that up there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What that means is, uh, Paul is saying, even when we're going through it, you ever come to that place where it's like, I am so broken right now. I don't even know what to pray. I'm so confused. I'm so conflicted. I don't even know what to pray. He's saying in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit that we have been given when we, when we receive salvation, when we accept Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit that dwells in us says he prays for us on our behalf with groanings. Even when we don't know what to pray, we don't know what's good, we don't know where to go, God is interceding for us. And he goes on in 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to to his purpose. Now, this isn't cliche like, oh, no matter what you're going through, it's, it's, it's good. It's going to be good. No matter what's happening, it's good. See, it is good. I don't think this, is, this should be seen as this cliche thing, but it's, it's, the reality is, as we've gone through our things, we had to realize that God is good no matter what my situation feels like at the moment. Because he's doing things that I can't even comprehend, and I know he's good. And so therefore, if I never get an answer, if I'm never told why, it's okay because he sees more of the picture than I do. And I trust him. But, but the question still goes on, well, who should we blame? It's like, it's like James is saying, I know, I know you're going to keep asking, I know you're going to keep asking. So then in verse 14, he says, he, he reveals. In verse 14, he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Did you see what the answer is? Well, who should we blame? Who's, who's making me do this? Who's tempting me? Who's, who's making me be drawn away from the things of God? He says, you are. I feel like, like sometimes we read this, it's like, oh, yeah, I am. It's like, no, did you, did you not? It's like the, like the ending of an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like, it's like, it was you the whole time. It's like, oh, what? It was me? Yes. It was you. And, and he's saying that. He's saying, look, you don't realize that, that in the midst of all these things, when, when trials come in, 
when these external things happen, our desire to maybe hit eject, our desire for things that are not of God, lead us into temptation. They draw our, our spirits away. It, I, I read a commentary that put it this way, and I have it up on the screen for those of you who are note takers, because I, I thought it said it well. It says, every external trial brings with it an internal temptation to sin. Every external trial brings with it an internal temptation to sin. You guys, when we walk through this life that is so threatening us, it's, it's throwing those pillows at us, trying to knock us down, what is our desire at times? Our desire may be for health, wealth, and happiness in the midst of an ever-changing, uncertain world. And those things in and of themselves are not bad, but when they become more weighty than the things of God, when our desire for them becomes more weighty than the things of God, then we are in danger. When, when we want, when our desire is for health, when our desire for health tempts us to fear and despair when that health is, is, is absent, we're in danger. When our desire for wealth tempts us to cheat and steal or, or cheat and lie, we're in danger. When our desire for happiness tempts us to, to just bend our convictions and, and just to justify things and say, well, if I, if I put it in this light, then we're in danger. See, maybe, maybe our desire, again, is just to simply hit eject. And we don't, we don't want the steadfastness. Because, you know, sometimes that steadfastness feels like it comes at a price that's just too high. See, when, when we begin to, to, to look at things like that, when our desire for the temporary begins to look better for us than the eternal, we are in danger of sin. When our desire for the temporary feels more weighty than those things that are eternal, we are in danger of sin. He, he even lays out this, this, how this works. He says it starts with desire, then it goes to sin, then it goes to death. I mean, and we, we feel this at times, right? Have you ever tried to, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to diet. I'm going to do the whole 30. I'm going to, whatever it is for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this right this time. And then, and then it's like you go to maybe a potluck or, or something. Like, there's always something. And then it's like, oh, but, I mean, I have to be kind and eat this cake because they made it. So I should eat it, right? But, but this, is, this is the only time, and I'll just eat. And then how's, how does the rest of the whole thing go? Like, if you're anything like me, it's like it becomes the whole two because I'm done, right? After that first time, my desire becomes more than my desire for these other things. And so then it's like, well, why, why even try? It, um, I, just confession, transparency. I, I really struggle with this desire for people to, to respect me. I, I desire for, to, to please people. And, and just a few months ago, um, I was, Mike was helping me uh, with my, our dishwasher. And he was telling me, oh, you need to, you need to buy this part, and, and it'll be an easy fix, and, and uh, I'll help you out. And, and so we were, we were at this uh, thing, and he said, hey, did you, did you buy that part? Did you order that part? And I said, oh, yeah, totally. I, yeah. I didn't. I hadn't. But, but I wanted Mike to respect me. I wanted to, I wanted to look better in Mike's eyes than, than if I would have said, oh, Mike, I totally forgot about it. See, I intended to. And in my mind, it's like, well, if you intend to, that's, that's the same as doing it, right? Because, because if, I, if, I, if I show Mike my intention, that's going to be better than if I 
if I confess to him. And, I, and then he asked me follow-up questions. He's like, well, how much did it cost? Uh, uh, $40. Like, well, when is it going to get here? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, Mike, can you just not ask me any more questions, right? Like, <laughs> because it just kept going. It just kept going. But that's what sin does. That's what desires do. And then I, I told Mike, like, God just convicted me like crazy. God convicted me, and, and he realized that I realized it's like, man, I want the things of God more than I want the, the, the acceptance of man, even though I love Mike and really want him to think highly of me. I want the things of God in my life. I want to be a man of character. I don't want to just, just lie, and I, I don't want to, to do things that are going to corrupt my character. And God just brought conviction on me. And I, I had to tell my kids, we were, I was praying with my kids one night, and God just, boom, just, just hit me. And I told my kids, I'm like, kids, I, I lied to Mike today. I'm going to have to call him tomorrow and confess to him. See, because here's the reality. When, when, when our desires become more weighty than the things of God, when our desire for health, wealth, happiness, or respect, or, or relationship, or all these different things, when they become more weighty than the things of God, it leads us into sin. And that sin, if it goes unchecked, and if it goes unrepentant, and if, it goes just, if, if we just justify it away, it continues into death. And James is saying, don't do that. Don't follow that progression. Hold on, hold tight in the midst of trials and temptation because those things that are going to come at us will come. And what happens is if, if our desire is left unchecked, it will, it will lead us into temptation. He, he goes on and he, he talks in, in verse, verse 17, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Guys, what we see there is this, another progression. He says, don't be deceived. It's not God doing this to you. It's you, your own desires, your, your own wants that become more important. The temporary becomes more important than the eternal to you. And he goes on, do not be deceived, my beloved. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. See, God, he says, God is not leading you into temptation. God is leading you into sanctification. God is leading you into salvation. He brings, he brings conviction. He brings discipline on his children in the midst of trials, not because he wants to heap more on, but because he wants us to come through the other side perfected with the crown of life. He, he goes on and he says, it's every good and perfect gift. It's from the Father of lights, the Father who created everything that we see. But he says in that, he says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I, I believe that you can read that verse in different ways. And that's one of the things James does. Is he, he uses imagery and it's a, he uses beautiful language. But in this, you can read it in different ways. And there's, there's reality where it's like, man, God is light. And so there's no variation when you look at light. But the other way as you, as you look through this is that God created the heavens and the earth. God created the stars. God created the moon and the sun. But God is more faithful than the fickle stars that he creates. If we, if we are going out, and sometimes growing up in the country, I'd walk on those country roads at night, and sometimes the moon would be absent, met, whether it was clouds or just that phase of the moon. And so it's dark out in the country when there's no, there's no street lights. 
You see, and I think there are times where we walk through trials and it's like, man, I feel so dark because the things that I should count on, they're not there for me. And yet what it's saying there is that God is not like the stars that he created. He is not fickle. He is constant. So we can be grounded in God because God is constant. God is faithful. And what does he do with that faithfulness? He says, he says of his own will, he brought us forth. By the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. By his own will, he brought us out of bondage into freedom. Of his own will, he brought us out of darkness into light. Of his own will, he brought us into relationship with himself. By the word of truth, he says. By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what that means. The word of truth. The word is Jesus. By the sacrifice in Colossians chapter 2, it talks about how, how God saved us. Jesus saved us from, from the, the sins that we are so, so trapped in. In verse 14, he says he did it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It is in Jesus. God is giving us gifts, and through Jesus Christ, we can receive him. He says that we should be a kind of first fruits of all his creatures. As you, as you think about what does it mean to be a first fruit. In, in the Old Testament, that idea of first fruit, it was, a, it was a, uh, a sacrifice that was brought into the temple. It represented all of the fruits that somebody had. Like if you're a farmer, right, and you, you bring in a harvest, the first of that harvest was brought into the temple, dedicated to God and saying, hey, in representation, I'm giving you this because I know all of this is yours. And so as we... As we are brought into the relationship that we have with God, the, the reality here, what James is saying is, he's saying you are dedicated to God for God's work, for God's service, what he wants to do. And in the New Testament, the first fruits, it was just a representation of all of the other stuff that God wanted to do. Like people who were saved in, in Asia and different places, he's saying you are the first fruits out of, you're the first ones called out of all the other people. See, the reality is Anthem Church, the, God isn't just, He's not stopping with us, right? It wasn't like God is just waiting up in heaven for all eternity, waiting for us to be a church. And then, I don't know what he's waiting on. I mean, we're a church, right? Jesus can come back now. It's done. But no, it's not that. He's saying, I, I have so much more planned for Columbia. And you are first fruits. You are dedicated to my service. Go out, and he says, hold on, because I have so much more planned for you. And so this morning, guys, if I ask you, as we, as we think through all this, if I ask you, where are you anchored? I think probably many of you would, would say, well, I'm anchored in Jesus, because you know the right answers. Even if you didn't grow up in church, I just gave them to you just a little while ago, so you know the right answer. I'm anchored in Jesus. But the, if, if you begin to ask yourself the question, well, okay, well, what does my Facebook profile look like? What does my, my Netflix account show? And yeah, you can justify and say, well, but I'm in the middle of that show, and I know I got a little hairy, but I, I got to finish it because I'll binge the rest of it today, and I will never watch it again. Right? What, what, do, what do these things show about you? What, what does it show about you if you're looking at a new car and you can't hardly afford the one that you have? What, what does it show about you if you're, if you're look, watching HGTV and you're lusting over this house that's like, oh, man, if I had that house, if I had that bathroom, right? I, one pastor called HGTV lust television because it's just you can't watch it or coveting, coveting TV because you can't watch it without wanting a new kitchen, 
But what, is that, what does that reveal about us when, when all these things, when, when we engage in conversations that, that you can't kid yourself, it is gossip? What does that show about where you're anchored? Because here's the reality. These things, they, they reveal a desire that is not anchored in God. And if we are going to, to be the people who come through trials and temptations and all these things stronger than when we started, then we have to be secure in God because God is the one who's secure. So here's, here's the reality. As we, as we, we're going to go into a time of worship. I want to I wanna challenge you. What is, what is God challenging you with? Where, where, maybe, maybe you've gone through something like I've gone through and you feel untethered this morning. Maybe you think about the things that, that I said and, and you have some stuff to take care of. Maybe for you, you need to delete your Facebook account. <gasps> what? I know, crazy, right? Maybe for you, there, there are things where, like I, talking to some young men, it's like you need to get rid of your smartphone. Because that's a gateway to pornography and that is a gateway to lust and, and it, you need to get rid of it. Because if you don't, your desires continue to draw you to these places. You, you need to stop watching the shows that feed into those desires. You need, to, you need to stop lusting after that new house or that new car. You need to stop entering into those, those conversations that are gossip. You need to stop lying and trying to make yourself look better than you are. Guys, the reality is that, that we need each other to come alongside. And we, there, is, there is hope in Christ if we hold on. So what I'm telling you this morning is maybe there's a step that you need to take. Maybe there's something that, that God is laying on your heart that you need to do. I would encourage you, do that this morning because here's the reality. We need, we must find security in God because God is the one who's secure, amen? And we will go through trials. If we are not secure in Christ, we will become untethered and we will continue down that progression. We will enter into sin and if that sin goes unchecked and unconfessed, it will lead us into death. But what God desires for us is life. What he desires for us is to be the first fruits of what he wants to do, not only here but around the world. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. God, I praise you for, for the fact that you, you are continuing to work through us. God, I praise you for the fact that, that our desires at times, they are they are misplaced, that we desire things that are not of you. And yet, God, I, I praise you that the promise for us in Scripture is that if we hold on to you, you will continue to hold on to us, God. And, and even, even in this life where we feel like we're, we might be taken out by, this new, by a new thing or, or new temptations come up or new trials, that this external trial leads us to internally be tempted. God, I pray that you would help us to identify those desires that are not grounded in you. God, I pray that you would help us to identify these things, God. And, and God, I pray that if there are people in here who, whatever it is, whatever, whatever you might have them do, God, I pray that you would help them to realize the desire they have and to, to hand that over to you. To stop. To, to stop and just turn to you, God. Be grounded in you. Because God, I know you have incredible things in store, not only for this city, not only for this country, but this world. And you want us to be the first fruits of that, to be dedicated to your service. So, God, I pray for that. It's in your name. Amen.